1, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Galatians 1, verses 6 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. We have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am now, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever when you hear the word gospel what do you think of i think if we were to go around and go through pell city and we were to say when i say gospel what do you think of we'd get a myriad of responses Uh, some people would just use it simply as a way of saying truth there's a great southern saying well that's just the gospel truth honey you hear that it's that true. Oh, it's just, it's got to be true. I'm, it's, certainly it's true. Some people may uh, simply say, well, that's just a form of music. We have different reactions when we hear the word gospel. Do we think about Southern Christianity and its use of the word as the cure for all that ails you? Well, you just need the gospel. It's that magic shot we take as a preventative like the flu shot. We all have different, a different way that we view the word gospel. We all have different experiences with it. We bring different baggage with us when we begin to talk about what the gospel is. And there are all kinds of different things that influence the way we view the gospel or the word gospel from our family and our upbringing, even Negative things that have happened in our lives can influence the way we view the gospel. And all these various experiences and interactions influence the way we approach the gospel and the way we approach one another. Because the church, if the church is being what the church is supposed to be, is the embodiment of the gospel. And this ends up being both good and bad. If your experience with the gospel is this tyrannical, let me tell you what you need to do and how you are to do it. And if you don't do it, then I'm going to look down on you. Then if I come to you and say, I want to tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have this negative visceral visceral reaction because for you, the gospel is a hurtful thing. In the church, we see the wonder and beauty in the gospel, but also in the church, we see how destructive the misappropriation of the gospel can be when we use the gospel the wrong way. 
And we can see here immediately in Galatians that Paul is alarmed. He is astonished. He is flabbergasted about what is going on in Galatia. This is what the majority of his letter is about. He is expressing his righteous anger over their actions. He didn't even stop and say a kind word. And Paul usually does. Even in Corinthians, where we know in Corinthians, hey, I know one of you is uh, sleeping with his father's wife. That's pretty bad, right? I would think so. I mean, yeah, you can, we can say, yeah, that's bad. That's, uh, categorically, that's bad. But even in Corinthians, he stops and, and gives a blessing and he thanks them for the work they're doing. He doesn't hear in Galatians. Not at all. It stands in sharp, sharp contrast. Because the problem is that they're getting the gospel wrong. And Paul is worried about that. So as we come to our text today, we're going to see three things. First, we're going to see a different gospel. Second, we're going to see a different messenger. And third, we're going to see a different approval. A different messenger, a different, or a different gospel, a different messenger, and a different approval. So word has gotten around. Paul had been out of Galatia for some time, this area in Asia Minor. And word had gotten around that they were adding the law of Moses to the gospel of Christ. They had come under the influence, as we said, of these Judaizers who wanted to make them uh, the, the Gentiles Jews before they could go to Christian. Uh, Jew was the middle step. If you're a Gentile, you had to go to Jew, and then you could become a Christian. They wanted the work of the law on top of faith in Christ. And Paul was afraid. Paul was afraid because he believed they were abandoning the gospel. Yet they were still in the process of doing this. There was time to correct this. And it's a very important thing to Paul. We have to understand something about Paul's missionary journey. As he went through Galatia, it was a very good time. And with, throughout the book of Acts, we get uh, explanations of how good his missionary journey actually was. And as we said uh, two weeks ago, Galatia was a greater region made up of smaller places. So we see in Acts 13 in Pisidian, many Jews followed Barnabas and Paul in Acts 14. In Iconium, great number of Jews and Greeks believed. In Lystra and Derbe, he made many disciples. There were many people who had professed faith in Christ who were now in danger of turning from Christ. And Paul was shocked. He could hardly believe they were falling away already. I think as I've become a father, there's so many great analogies in parenthood. And, and, and it's like and my children do this and it's aggravating and frustrating where you go, hey, don't run in the house. Yes, sir. And then they run through the house immediately after saying yes, sir. And it's like this. Paul's like, hey, stick to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, yeah, Paul, we got you. And they go after a different gospel. And he's, it's like, he's astonished that he's so quickly turned. And this is something that we in the church must worry about as well. We tend to, to be much better at protecting ourselves from obvious wrongs. If I were to come in here and say, hey, Islam is not good, you would go, yeah, okay, Islam's not good. We can get behind that. 
Yeah, it, let's not let's not do Islam. Hey guys, you shouldn't be Buddhist. Yeah, okay, Buddhism, not good. Yeah, we got it. We're good at that, but we're tempted. We're not tempted to turn to Islam or other such religions, generally speaking. But we're not as good as weeding out those who come in the church and try and distort the gospel. And we have to watch out for this. We must look for those who would declare Christ, yet change his gospel. Those who would come in and say, I am a believer in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and I've come to give a good word to you today. And let me tell you what that word is. And they go down any other path except the path that Jesus Christ has led forth for us. This comes in many shapes and forms. Those who will come in and say, Jesus just wants you to be happy. He just wants you to be happy. He wants you to be healthy and wealthy. Those who will come in and say, look, you don't need the church. All you need is just Jesus and you. Oh, you just go in the woods and just you and Jesus, and that's all you need, and that's not true. And we can fill in the blank with whatever it is. Hey, look, it's all about family and family values. If you just hold those up, you'll be good. Oh, it's all just, it's all about correcting social injustice. If you can just correct social injustice, then that's the gospel. And we add any number of these things, and we have to watch out for this. Because the problem is these Judaizers had come into this church as presenting a different gospel. They were a different messenger than Paul was, which is our second point. This made Paul angry. He was upset. There's a visceral reaction here. He's like, I cannot believe you just did that. And if you talk to Gracie, you'll know at times I get angry. I'm like, why did you do that? That's so silly. And he's like getting in touch with them before it's too late. Jay Gresham Mason uh, says it this way in summarizing. You're falling away from the gospel and I'm writing to stop you. That's what he's doing. You're doing something wrong and I want you to stop. That's the gist of Galatians in, in a simple way. They're abandoning the good news of the cross and the empty tomb. They're trading one set of ideas for another. And as we said, these false teachers were most likely from Jerusalem. They were creating turmoil. There are many things that can disrupt the life of the church. But potentially there's nothing worse than this. John Stott says it this way, the church's greatest troublemakers now as then are not those outside who oppose, ridicule, and persecute it, but those inside who try to change the gospel. We have to watch for those who would change the gospel in the church more diligently at times than we have to watch for those who would come out and ridicule us. Because they come with partial truths, but they put a spin on it. They change it just enough. For in, in Galatians, they gave him the law. And they said, hey, you like Jesus, don't you? And they're like, yeah, yeah. Jesus is good. We like Jesus. Don't you want more of Jesus? Oh, yeah, we want more of Jesus. Don't you want the full gospel? Because Paul only gave you a part of it. Don't you want the rest? And the temptations go, if a little Jesus is good, then a lot of Jesus is great, right? Who doesn't want the full gospel? 
And they come in and say, look, you need this law. You need to be circumcised because, hey, look, this is the same Messiah. This is the problem. They use this kind of language. This is the same Jesus that was promised in the Old Testament. And look what else the Old Testament says. The Old Testament says you need to be circumcised. That's the way it always worked for Gentiles. If you're a Gentile, then you had to be circumcised and become a Jew. You need to become part of the nation of Israel. And you need to follow these food laws. And you need to do all these other ritual things. And they're like, oh, these guys say they follow Jesus. And this is the Old Testament. I need to obey this. And Paul's response to these people is, if anyone comes and teaches you a different gospel, let them be accursed. This is a harsh language. It literally means let them be damned. Let them go to hell. Let them be judged. This is the greatest possible rebuke. And the question for us is, can we distinguish between the true and false gospel in the church? Can we distinguish between the gospel of Christ and the gospel of material prosperity? Between Christ and the gospel of family values, between Christ and the gospel of self, between Christ and the gospel of religious tradition or of morality? And you go, well, Daniel, isn't morality a good thing? And you're like, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We are called to be moral people, but if our morality becomes what saves us, then we're doing something wrong. And they're dangerous because they offer something that is beneficial. Hey, aren't family values a great thing? And we go, yeah, we like family values. Hey, isn't this religious tradition a good thing and sometimes we go yeah it's good but then it supersedes the gospel of christ there was a commentator by the name of raymond ortland jr and he tried to imagine the church without the gospel and here are some things he came up with and i want you to listen to these carefully this might be the church without the gospel a church that has a passionate devotion to the pro-life cause. A church that has a confident manipulation of modern managerial techniques so we can know how to make friends and influence people. A church that drives towards church growth. A church that has a deep concern for the institution of the family. Maybe it has a clever appeal to consumerism by offering a sort of cost-free Christian light. One that is sympathetic, empathetic, thickly honey, honeyed cultivation of personal relationships. A church that has a determination to take America back to its Christian roots through political power and, dare I say, make it great again. A church that has a warm affirmation of self-esteem. Any of those prick at you? The reality is the church without the gospel can at times, sadly, look like the church today. When we put our hope, for example, in making America great through political power, we're failing to put hope in Christ. 
and what he's doing. Is it a good thing, let me step back for a second, to vote in people who we think are Christian and moral people? Yes. That's the problem. Because it's a good thing. But when we come in and that becomes our ultimate hope, then it becomes a problem. Again, I ask you, is it good to have a passionate devotion to the pro-life cause? Yes, I believe that it does. And I believe with all my heart that abortion is a sin. But when that becomes the ultimate thing, there becomes a problem. We must keep the gospel at the center of the church. Martin Luther says it this way. There's a clear and present danger that the devil may take away from us the pure doctrines of faith and may substitute for it the doctrines of works and human traditions. It is very necessary, therefore, that this doctrine of faith be continually read and heard in public. The greatest danger from the church potentially is not from without, but from within. Those who preach a different Christ, but call him Jesus. Those who preach all the way to heaven. And there are those in the Christian church today who will say, look, Islam is just another way to God. Buddhism is just another way to God. And as long as we all have faith, we're all going to the same place. Not everyone who calls themselves Christian serves Christ. That is a reality. And Paul asserts most strongly that there is no other gospel. He says, even if an angel comes and preaches you a different gospel, let that angel be accursed. Martin Luther says it this way again. Martin Luther is great on Galatians. I'm sorry if I quote him a lot. Uh, but this is, listen to it. This is meant to be an exaggeration to make a point. That which does not teach Christ is a is not apostolic. Even if Peter and Paul be the teachers, on the other hand, that which does teach Christ is apostolic, even if Judas, Pilate, or Herod should propound it. In essence, he's saying if Herod, Herod, uh, you know who Herod is, we're getting into the Easter season, that person who persecuted and ultimately uh, turned Christ over to be killed, or Pilate, the one who said, I wash my hands of you, even if they say, Jesus is Lord, and their intent is the true gospel, then that is apostolic. But if Peter himself, and there was a time where Paul came to Peter and rebuked him, and Peter said, we need to add the law, you need to do all these things, and it's not. The gospel is the gospel because it's God's gospel. Islam claims revelation from angels. Mormons claim Jesus plus the book of the Mormon. Even in the church... We have people who come and say, look, it's not justification as a free gift. It's justification by works. And that's not the true gospel. We cannot allow foreign messengers into the church. And that goes no less true for me. If I ever begin to preach a false gospel, you need to run me out of here on a rail. The false gospel might grow the church. The false gospel might make us feel good, but it is literally damning. And we have to be on our guard lest we promote a false gospel. And we can be guilty of this far too often. We substitute many good things in the place of the gospel. We have to ask ourselves, what is most important to us? 
So we consider this list. And the problem, as we said, is they're good things. Like I said, we should be outraged by abortion, but have we been reduced to that being the only thing we're concerned with? Have we, in our outrage for abortion, failed to love those who are struggling through it? What are the adverse effects of focusing on this to the exclusion of the gospel? So those who come in our midst and maybe in their youth and they were younger, they had an abortion and they come before us and they hear abortion is evil, abortion is wicked. Those proponents and supporters of it are evil and wicked and they come in and they don't see the gospel that says Christ is good and he is lovely even for those who are sinners. We have to remember how the gospel comes to those who are in need. We think about the example of the woman at the well. Jesus comes to the woman at the well, but he comes with love and compassion. He doesn't come to her and say, you're a, a, a terrible woman who has had many husbands and you're just a terrible sinner and I don't want you, you're just a wicked woman. He didn't say because of your action, there's no place for you in the kingdom of God. He came to her directly. He came to her in love. Yes, he revealed her sin. But he gave her the gospel. We as the church have to refocus our eyes what is of, of most importance. Because we seek a different approval. This is our third point. See, Paul's Opponents called him a people pleaser. Paul, you're just trying to please people. That's what you're, is most important to you. You just want to be popular. And they, they would have cited things to him like you had Timothy circumcised, but when it was Titus's turn to be circumcised, you didn't have him circumcised. And, and the claim is, Paul, you're just inconsistent. You like to wiffle waffle. You go back and forth. But Paul was always consistent when it came to the gospel. Timothy was circumcised so that he could be effective in evangelism. Titus was not because they were making circumcision a matter of salvation. At Paul's, the heart of Paul, his goal was always to protect the gospel. And his words here are not of that trying to please people. He had left his Pharisaism behind when he came to Christ. He put all his confidence in Christ. He was not seeking to please man. His goal was always to please Christ. And he says this in no definitive terms by saying, if you bring a gospel, excuse me, that is not of Christ, then let you be accursed. There is no harder or firmer line than you can take than that because Paul doesn't say if this is what's true of you you really need you should probably think about praying maybe and hopefully God will reveal to you your error and that's not he doesn't come in him and Holland does he he comes in with both barrels of blazing and says if you're preaching the gospel that's not Christ you're cursed and get out we don't need you here because that's not the gospel Whose pleasure do we seek, man or God? Because this is what we need to know. If your goal is to please man, 
It's never going to end. It's never going to end. The, the desi- You're always going to have to be doing more. But guess what? God is already pleased with you. Because when God looks upon you, he sees his son. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. So when God looks on his children, he is pleased with them. And this liberates us from seeking the approval of the world. And we're free, it frees us to serve him. We must realize who, whose approval we are seeking after. We're not to seek the approval of friends and family. I, as your pastor, my goal is not to seek your approval through what I'm saying. Our goal is not to go to the world and seek its approval. We are seeking the approval of God and God alone, knowing that it is already ours. So it's not my job to tickle your ears. It's not my job to come in here and say, oh, what a good congregation you are. I'm to bring you the truth. When that truth feels good and even when it hurts. Because the gospel is greater than our hurts. We are to be reminded and encouraged that the one who we are trying to please is God. Be encouraged because he is pleased with you. It's, It's not as if we have to come before God and say, look at all that I've done. Would you just be happy with me? No, we come with empty hands saying, look at what Christ has done. And now I can come before you. God is pleased with you, not because of your works, but because of Christ's works. So what does that mean? It means you now get to do the work of the gospel boldly. You get to go out and do the work of the gospel gospel boldly. You get to preach and teach and declare even as Paul did let me tell you about my savior Jesus Christ the son of God so you do the work of the gospel and you protect it at all cost you protect it there is nothing greater We cannot allow the message of another gospel to creep into the church because there is no different gospel. This is what Paul said. I'm astonished that you're turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one. It's kind of this aside saying, hey, let me tell you, uh, I understand that I'm declaring here that you're turning to a different gospel, but there's not a different gospel. There is only one true gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that is what we must hold fast to. We cannot receive a message from any messenger Anyone who comes with a false gospel is not to be trusted, even if it's an angel from heaven. If it comes and say, let me tell you about a way to God that is not through Christ, they are to be cursed. They are against God. They are his enemy. This is, I, I, I don't think that the church as a whole, well, as we say as a whole, uh, the Visible church today, those who declare the name of Christ, I don't think would be pleased with the message of Paul. Because who are the people we like to listen to? Uh, maybe not here, but others. And we go, 
oh, that Joel Olstein, he's a real nice guy. And I like the things he says. It makes me feel good. And yet he brings a gospel that is not the gospel of Christ. And we go, well, that's, that's not very kind for you to say that. But it's true. And Paul comes and says, anyone who gives you a different gospel than the gospel of Christ is anathema, is cursed. Anyone. They are against God. We must remember we don't seek men's approval. And so I say that. Maybe there's some of you in here who maybe like listening to Joel Steen, And you're going, well, that's not very kind. But here's the reality. I don't seek the approval of men. You don't seek the approval of men. You seek the approval of God alone. And it doesn't matter what we may lose in standing up for truth. We protect the gospel. At all costs. We lose all for the sake of Christ and his truth. And we must do this. At all times. So it's not about our best life now. It's about coming in Christ in faith and repentance. Understanding that at times what God has for us in teaching us is not our best life now. And that we still come in faith and repentance and truth and trust in him. This is his gospel. We can add nothing to it. This is what drove Luther as he's standing behind that diet of worms. And they say, recant of your, basically of your rebuke of the Catholic church at the time. And he says, if I, unless I am convinced by, in some way, I can't remember the exact language, by God or some other, then I cannot repent I stand and rest upon Jesus Christ. Here I stand. I can do no other. And that could have meant his life at that point. And thankfully, God spared him for a time at least. But there are many that weren't spared. Are we willing to stand up for the gospel in that way? Or are we so concerned about the world? And making sure it's not offended by us. My prayer, brothers and sisters, is that we would know the gospel. That we would stand for its truth. Unashamedly and without ceasing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come now and we do rest upon your word. We rest upon the true gospel. Lord, would we stand for its truth each and every day. Even when it hurts. Even when it's hard. We ask in Jesus' holy name, amen.